Hello, oh, oh, everybody. Sounds like Elvis. Uh, dude, I saw some dude dance like Elvis on The Voice once. I saw some dude dance like Elvis on the hill. I saw some dude who thought he was Elvis. I saw... Nah, I got nothing. Welcome to the Lanky Guys. We are the word on the hill. I'm Father Peter Muzzett. Something like that. I'm Scott Powell. <laughs> and we are in the... Epiphany. Well, yeah, either, depending on how you look at it, either the second Sunday of Christmas or the Feast of the Epiphany. Well, really, it's one of the yeah, same. Yeah. If, you, if you're in the United States, which we uh, are presently. Well, we are. Yeah. I mean, we're, that's where we're located. I know, but there's a collective we of all of our friends. I know. And then there's also those of you who are in countries who actually observe um, things according to times and seasons. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you, my friends, are going to be in the second Sunday after Christmas. So don't listen to this podcast unless you celebrate the Epiphany. But you can still listen to it. Don't shut off our listenership. Oh, that's right. You know, ruin our ratings, dude. I all of our download numbers, which only all of our we sponsors see. Will all our sponsors abandon us. Verbum, that's our sponsor. Verbum is awesome. Yeah, dude. go check them out. Verbum.com. They've Absolutely. got great Bible software. I, I keep on discovering stuff in it. By the way, yeah, you just were telling me about something. Yeah, but that was for last week. We are in the uh, the third podcast of a triple header that we're doing to, in preparation for the Christmas season. Yeah, yeah. So if we get a little, little bit loopy, you guys know why. Yep. Yeah, and Scott Powell has finished his Red Bull. I finished my second Red Bull. Yeah. He's eating a lot of gummy worms. Well, you only had a couple left. And lots of Tostitos. He ate like a whole bag of Hintelon. I did not dude. eat a whole bag. And then we had some chocolate cream pie that I made. Yeah. It was really good. You make a mean chocolate cream pie. It's my first one that I ever made. You guys, the Epiphany is kind of weird because uh, I think we mentioned this last week. We last week was the week the feast of the Holy Family, which jumped forward in time to Jesus being twelve years old, and now we go way back in time to the actual birth of Christ and the visiting of the Magi. So the timeline's pretty confusing, which and that's is, why you said following the time and seasons. Yeah, well, this is the strange thing is that is that if you actually go according to the the cosmological biblical the cosmological poetry of all this. Um, it it don't work out except for except for this this part. <laughs> it don't work out. The the most likely reality would be actually of the Magi visiting on December twenty fifth in that year. This is actually the moment. And if you look at the stars, because um, Jupiter would have gone into retrograde motion directly over Bethlehem from the perspective of Jerusalem on December the twenty fifth uh, in the year two eighty. That's or two cray. BC, sorry. That's cray. So, so you can track track the cosmological things, and so so the epiphany would be a little bit more like Christmas, but then Jesus might have actually most more likely been have been born earlier than this. Yeah, but still. But they wouldn't. Have, they you know what I mean? Newborn moms, they don't want to move around. No, they don't want to move. They're going to stay put. Yeah. Right in Beth. You think they're still in the manger? Yep. In the stable. Or yep. the cave, depending on yeah, yeah. I what think it actually was. I think they decorated it out. I think it was pretty nice. <laughs> That's cool. We're reading um, a lovely book to our kids at bed. Well, Annie's reading it to them. They it, they won't let me read it because it's just kind of associated with Annie now. But there's this great book. It's called Mary's Little Donkey. Oh. And I don't actually know who wrote it. It was a gift from Lily's godfather a couple of years ago. But it's really cute. It's fictional, but it kind of tells this whole story of basically the Holy Family's journey to Bethlehem. And But there's this scene that we just read last night where they're, they're, they couldn't find any place to stay. You, you know the story. And again, it, it's fictional. It's it's a, you know, 
they're imagining what's going on here, but they're walking toward, uh, they couldn't find any place to stay, and they're kind of led by these angels to go outside of town a little bit. Yep. And they see what would be the state, it's described as a stable in the book. But the way that the light from the star is shining on it, it looks like this palace. And it's like glowing and lit up and just beautiful. And they're like, wow, we can't go there. It's like a home of a rich man. And then they get closer and closer and they're like, oh, it's a stable. But the light from the star has actually made it brilliant and shine. But you're saying they decorated it. Just reminded me of that. Oh, it's nice. really beautiful. It's a cool book. The kids just love it. It's really neat. So anyway, that's a little shout out to Mary's Little Donkey. Everybody. <laughs> Word. Word up. So we are in uh, our first reading for the Epiphany is coming from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. And then our psalm is Psalm 72, 1 to 2, 7 to 8, 10 to 11, 12 to 13. Our second reading is coming from the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 to 3a. And then five and six. <laughs> Couldn't just yeah, cloud through to six. I, I know. It's, anyway. So our gospel is uh, Matthew 2, 1 to 12. You bet which, it which is. Which is palindromic, which I'm always it looking for the, the palindromes. Which, by the way, um, you guys don't ever hear this part, but our headphones are hooked up to Scott Powell's computer. Yeah, you know what? And, and, and every I, time he gets a text message, it bings us. So every time we're doing these these um, podcasts... I'm a popular guy. There's a lot going on dude, in my he, world. He just gets like binged like nothing else, man. He's like a cherry over there. Bing. Oh, bing cherry. Nice. Yeah, see how I did that? Yeah, well done. Well played. Hey, man, that's my life. That's <coughs> how I roll. puns? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, my life is a pun, really. Like... When all things are going to be discovered, it's they're just going to be like my life is just going to be one large wordplay. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably or a palindrome. It's going to be a wordplay. Pal- it's a palindromic wordplay. Ooh, well said. Did we should talk about Isaiah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Isaiah sixty. We're I'm trying to keep you on task. Hey, you got an appointment soon. Well, what I know is that we're like at the very end of Isaiah. You bet. We're like about six chapters from the end, which by the way, yeah. Isaiah is like really long. Mm, 66 chapters, in fact. Boom. Boom. Um, you guys know Isaiah is split into two major parts, right? There's the book of woe. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa I mean, man. Whoa. Which is, <laughs> sorry. Um, you guys don't hear it. I keep thinking you guys hearing my bangs. I'm, I'm, there's a lot going on, man. My, my computer keeps binging and I don't know how to turn it off. I could show you someday. No, I kind of like it. It just reminds me that my world is still still continuing on. Yeah. I, anyway. I, it, I'm Pavlovian. I always look to mine when I hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yours did it a second ago. Yeah, it did. Um, it's because I'm finally cool like you. So the first half of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, the book of woe, which is all the bad news. So last uh, on Christmas Day, we, if you remember, if you listen to the podcast, it was about the people in darkness who've seen a great light. But the whole context was about how dark it was and why they needed light so badly. But then chapters 40 through 66 is the book of Consolation, showing after this time of of great darkness and woe, there's going to be comfort. So uh, it's kind of the now what after all this happens. Now, granted, all of Isaiah is being written before the exile, but it's giving them instructions on how to live during and after the exile when God sets things right. So this uh, this is really all about royalty. This time. So in Isaiah 60, it says, rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Now read this in light of our Christmas reading, right? The people who are sitting in darkness. You talked about the idea of being swaddled, literally, in darkness, tight, closed around you, constricted by darkness. Rise up in splendor, you people, because the light has come. Your, mm. your, your light has come. Yeah. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. This line, the glory of the Lord shines upon you. There's a clear reference here to the glory cloud, and that's what's being evoked here in the great in the uh, 
in the Hebrew and the Greek too. Remember what? Do you remember what the glory cloud was? The Shekinah is the Shekinah cloud is, is uh, the cloud that was filled the tent of presence when they were in the Exodus. Yeah, uh, to well, show forth the, the 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 presence of God. I mean, not, not just, just the in Exodus. the Exodus, yeah. but yeah, but it's beginning in the Exodus, but and, and continuing into the future. Yeah, and and I, interestingly enough, it's what Ezekiel witnesses leaving the temple just before its destruction. Dude, do you know how bummed you'd be when you see the scene? <laughs> there, like, there it like, goes. You're like, no. Well, because their argument in Isaiah or in, in Ezekiel as to why they would never be destroyed was, well, nobody can touch us. We have God's presence in the temple. He dwells there. So, of course, Jerusalem's safe. Of course, the temple's safe because God dwells in there. And then there goes the glory cloud out the east gates and takes off outside of the city. And everyone's like, oh, boy. Yeah. That's not good. Um, yeah. That, lots more we can say about that. But so, so this is what's being evoked, the glory cloud. So, yeah, what led them out of Egypt. So remember the pillar of cloud out of Egypt? Then it dwelt on the temple. So what people are, well, I guess they don't know that the glory cloud is leading, but if you're reading Isaiah 60 in the time of Jesus or just before the time of Jesus, you know that the cloud has left. The glory of God has departed from among you. And this is saying, hey, it's going to come back. And it says, see, darkness covers the earth, thick clouds over the peoples. There's a juxtaposition of the glory cloud and then the dark, thick clouds. There's two kinds of clouds, right? The cloud of confusion and darkness and then the cloud of glory. But upon you, the Lord shines and appears in his glory. Nations will walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. So raise up your eyes and look about. They gather and they come about you. Your sons come from afar. You know, one thing that's interesting, I think, in the Old Testament yeah, if you remember, if you go way, 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 way back to the time of Abraham, right? Or Abram at the time. Abraham was given, <laughs> <laughs> and it's debated kind of how you read this, but but the scholars say either three or four promises. You remember the promises given to Abraham? A worldwide blessing. Well, well there's one that, that kind of comes before all of it. So descendants is the one that's debated. Is that a promise? or I mean, he was promised descendants. But then out of his descendants, God says three things will happen to them. Okay. So you're going to have descendants. And then what What are the three? Do you World, worldwide blessing. A worldwide blessing is the is the final one. So through you, Abraham, all of the nations will be blessed. Do you know that um, the, the reality of human concentration is that oftentimes you remember the first thing and the last thing, but the middle points are lost. Oh, so, interesting. So I can remember those two, but I can't remember the middle points. It's funny, the, the Baselli's, when we were skiing a couple of weeks ago, were making fun of me for all the Socratic questions I ask you on the podcast. <laughs> and now I'm doing it. And, and every time I ask you a Socratic question, I pause you, you panic. I pause and it, you so pause the, well, the I pause thing. The to, to like, I don't want to be asked questions. I'm just <laughs> I'm the teacher here. Yeah, I know. So yeah, descendants are number one. They says, out of your descendants, you're going to have, number one, there's going to be a great name. Well, first, you're going to have land. You will be a people with land, a home, right? You're going to have a great name, which implies a dynasty, a kingdom. Okay. And then thirdly, like you said, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So you can take these promises, and Abraham, yeah, he does have lots of descendants through Isaac and Ishmael as well. But he has lots of descendants, and then out of those descendants, you have the nation of Israel rise up. And yeah, at one point they're given land, right? At one point they have a kingdom. They lose all those things. Remember, by the time of Jesus, they've lost their land. They've lost their kingdom. But at what point do they become a blessing to the entire world? Catholic Church. Well, in the New Covenant. But you get you get signs of it in the Old Testament, right? Right. It's one of those where you're like, okay, I see the land in the Old Testament. I see the kingdom. 
where's this worldwide blessing? But there are moments, and this is what's referred to here, when there are, you remember the Queen of Sheba comes up and visits Solomon to get his wisdom. And there are kings and nations and peoples of all the earth that are coming to Israel, mainly under the time of King Solomon, to, to gain wisdom and insight and to learn who God is and all these things. Yeah. So there's a moment in time in the nation of Israel before the exile, you know, kind of in the midst of these lousy kings before, lousy kings after, where they start to become, or at least there's an echo of them being a blessing to all the nations. Mm. But it, does, it doesn't last, right? It right. fades out pretty quick. Oh, yeah. But throughout the Old Testament, there's references to it. Remember when the Queen of Sheba would come and visit. Remember when all these nations when came. all these caravans of camels and dromedaries yeah. of Midian and Ephah. And, and Isaiah now is looking forward. And, and, and it's clearly evoking the past. When you read about people coming from Sheba and dromedaries from Midian and Ephah, all these things should are reminding Israel of their stories in the past under Solomon and others. But it's also pointing to it again. So there's going to be a resurgence of a kind of Solomon. Remember, Solomon was the one who built the temple on the rock, had great wisdom, all these things. So there's a pointing ahead. This is going to happen again in a certain sense. This, by the way... Well, I'll, I'll come back to that. I've, I found an interesting connection between the Isaiah passage and our gospel. Oh. We'll, we'll come back to it. Something I'd never, uh, I never, I never knew before. Ooh, was that what you were like yeah. hooting and hollering about before? I wasn't hooting and hollering. You were, yeah. you were, you were cooing. <laughs> you were <laughs> biblical cooing. You, you had a biblical coo yeah, going. You were like, coo. you're like. <laughs> I was excited. <laughs> I'm still excited. How do you do a good, like? I don't know. It sounds like Chewbacca. Yeah, which by the. <laughs> Which, by the way, the new Star Wars. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. Hmm. How was it? It's very Star Wars. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it was. It's like it's like pure Star Wars. That's it's what like, you'd you, hope for in a Star Wars you, movie. You know, it's like Star Trek is very Star Trek, <laughs> and you can always kind of call Star Trek out to be Star Trek. I guess so. Star Wars is just very Star Wars. You know, like I don't it's really know what you're talking here about. with a thousand faces, baby. I'm excited to see it. It's very Joseph. now. I'm even more excited. It's Joseph Campbell, you know. Yeah. But that's makes <laughs> okay. So let's right. get into the psalm, the Psalm seventy two, which you were totally like tweaking out about too. I'm very excited to it, hear. There's what a you connection have to say. in both, and it's not a huge connection. It's just something I've always been curious about, and I never knew the answer to. So it's a small thing, but dude, but, hold on. Did you see that? Nope. Was it a spark of light? No, no it was. A, it was a dead cat. Is that a joke? Is there a pun coming here? Curiosity killed the cat. Oh my gosh! I knew there was a pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Psalm 72, it's echoing what um, we talked about with those promises. And again, you're thinking about these promises, God. You're living as an Old Testament person. You know that these promises given to Abraham weren't just nice ideas. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had land and a kingdom and all the nations were blessed? You know that they are promises that God made. Right. So when you're living in a time when there's we've lost our land, we don't have a king, and the prophets have said we're an eyesore to the nations— you're like, well, when is God going to be faithful? Not just wouldn't it be nice if these things happened, but they have wouldn't to it happen. Wouldn't be lovely? <laughs> so the psalm is all about that. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. And it talks about God giving his judgment to endow the king. All of this is referencing really back to Solomon. By the way, Psalm 72 is actually believed to be a coronation psalm. So this is one of the psalms that would be read when the king was crowned. It's probably written by David at the coronation of Solomon. Lord, give the son of the, uh, give justice to the king's son. Or it might have been Solomon actually composing this and singing it at Rehoboam, his son's coronation. But mm. we know that this is probably one of the psalms that's literally being read as the king is crowned. 
which is, um, again, not coincidental that the church has chosen that psalm to be read on the Sunday of the Epiphany, mm. when a new kind of a coronation, again, completely unexpected, not what anybody was looking for, but is literally taking place in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, there's all these references to, again, kings, kings coming from Tarshish and Arabia and Tell pay him homage and serve him and Kings all these bowing things. down and, and, and right governance. And it talks even that, yeah, that last line, he shall rescue the poor and the afflicted. I mean, if you think about this, if you imagine that this is what I think it is, Solomon, a hymn by Solomon for his son Rehoboam, which is more of a prayer. God, please make the king like this. And all the people gathered in Jerusalem for the king's coronation, literally singing out, please let him be the kind of king God who rescues the poor and cares for the afflicted and all these things. And then you read the story of those kings, especially Rehoboam, who Yee. was horrible to the poor, who caused the civil war that actually split the north and the south. Yeah. And you're seeing the irony of the people's desperate cry to have a king like this yeah. and always getting the exact opposite. Even Solomon, who turned out to be terrible by the end of his life, right. praying for the thing that you're always getting the opposite of mm. and holding out this hope that maybe someday this king that's spoken of here is actually going to come. Mm. So that, that there's this desire that's put into the hearts of Israel. Yeah. And they're praying these psalms all the time. They're always singing them. Right. They're remembering their original context, but they're also looking forward to when they're going to be fulfilled eventually. So that's, um, so that's what's going on in Psalm 72, which wow. takes us to Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians is, well, they're very efficient. Ah, uh, efficient. So, yeah, so... Um, I don't have no idea how to connect this. Uh, I mean, like, okay, well, I, I mean, do. it's, it's, there's, um, that's why you have me. And yeah. It, I mean, it talks about generations, <clears throat> how like it, it's, it's in fact that like that it's needful that, um, the mystery of revelation was done in generation. I'm just using words from this. Well, no, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right though. So brothers and sisters, you have heard of the stewardships of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit. Namely, that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, um, the thing about Ephesians, one of the things I love about the book of Ephesians, oh, I just you know got this it. is yeah. one of my favorite books. Yeah. But the book of Ephesians um, teaches us, I think, more than any other book of the New Testament about the nature of the church. And some people have called the, the book of Ephesians like a jeweler's setting. Each chapter of Ephesians examines the church in a different way, in a different facet of of what the church oh, is. Yeah. So imagine, and you're a jeweler, so imagine a jeweler setting, and there's all these different angles you can look at it from. So it talks about the church as a household, the church as a family, a communion, a um, an army, right? And in chapter three, the thing that it emphasizes is the church as a mystery. And that's kind of the key idea that's in chapter three. And I was always confused, especially growing up, went to Catholic school, you know, for elementary school at least. And talking about the church as a mystery or hearing the word the mystery right. always frustrated me more than anything else. Because I was like, you know, I felt like if there was ever a hard well, it's question a or something. It's a cop-out. It felt like, like a cop-out. Oh, it's a can, mystery. You can use that, like, it's so easy to get into that. Rather than the true understanding of mystery, which says right. that we get purchase. If if you were to consider mystery a wall to be scaled, you can get a foothold, you can get a handhold, and you can continue ad infinitum. Like you, we can keep gaining understanding in the midst of the mystery, even though there's no end to the revelation and the depth in which we're going to actually be able to encounter it. Yes, that's 100% true, but Ephesians is emphasizing a different aspect of that, which uh, is... Uh, the as aspect of mystery, the, the notion of mystery? Kind of. So, so on, on a certain level, like you said, we're never going to plumb the depths. 
that's impossible. Or the heights in, or in, the heights. in the case of the analogy, analogy that I gave. But the difference is, I, when I thought about mystery, I always thought about God concealing something from us. Like, what's hidden, you're never going to know. Hey. But when Paul's talking about it here in Ephesians, he's talking about something that's revealed. So what's the point of reading a mystery novel? Not just so you're perpetually in the mystery, but so that you figure it out. You're not going to, you know, yeah. the first pages of a mystery novel, you're just getting all the questions. But by the end of the book, you've seen how the mystery is unfolded in a way that you couldn't have necessarily guessed at the beginning of the book. Now, I remember the show Lost. We used to both love the love show it. Lost, which is the perennial. It's this great example of, I think of it as an analogy for salvation history. And every episode, every season, there's these new revelations of the mystery. Like it starts with a mystery and this question, like, what are they doing there? Who are these people? What's going on? And then there's all these things that just continually unfold. That's what Paul means when he talks about God's mystery, is that this is something that he's slowly been unfolding over time. And he says, I have been revealed this to me. This has been revealed to me in a way that it wasn't known in other generations. He's... Paul's always a little bit big-headed in his, in his books, but he's like, I know the answer to the mystery in a way that the kings and the prophets nobody else understood before. Now I see it. And it's namely that the Gentiles are now co-heirs, members of the same body. So not, you know, what we knew in the past is that God was going to bless all the nations through Israel. What we didn't realize was that the way he was going to bless the other nations was by making them Israel that they would actually be family members, co-heirs. It's not the idea, oh, the Queen of Sheba gets to visit and get some wisdom once in a while, but it's that the Queen of Sheba is, much as, is as much of an heir to the promises of God and the promises of Abraham as Solomon himself was. That wasn't understood in the past. What we've had revealed to us through Jesus is what God had always intended. And the reason that we walked through this long story of salvation and the reason we're supposed to study it now is so that we can unfold it, like watching a beautiful movie right. and seeing how it's all unfolding over time. Not because God wants to conceal things, but because he wants to reveal it and show us. And we can say, oh, in a way that you can't, you know, if you were to watch that show Lost and watch the first episode and then the last episode, that'd be the worst, oh, right? Yeah. But that's what we want. We don't want to do the hard work of actually unpacking and unveiling and living out the mystery, but that's what salvation history is. Yes. It's entering in, and Paul says, now I get it. I see what God was doing, and it's that all of these kings and these leaders and these foreign nations who are supposed to be blessed by us are actually supposed to be one of us, and that was un not understood. That's a profound mystery, he says. Who? Which is, in a certain <clears throat> sense, that's our whole project of like what we're doing in the liturgical cycle is yeah. is unfurling the mystery. Unfurling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why that word struck me as funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I could say unfolding the mystery, but it, but we've already said that word. We so. have. So got to switch it up, baby. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of babies. Oh, talk to me about a baby. Well, Jesus. Oh, okay. Being born. Sorry, I was trying to make a segue. Come on, that was a great segue. To what? What was it? What did the I gospel. say about a baby? You said something about baby. Or maybe I said baby. You said baby. Somebody said baby. Yeah, yeah. I, I just said unfurl. Let's just, <laughs> that's an, uh, un, well, whatever. That was my, <laughs> I think I said unfurl it, baby. Unfurl it, baby. Um, which is, uh, which is great because we get to yeah. Matthew and, um, which I just love. I mean, you guys, you know how much I love, um, this whole experience of, somebody being willing to explore um the cosmos as if they're meaningful mm. like 
like I, I don't know. I just think I've just been thinking a lot about this recently. How we can do our science with a view to unveiling the mystery of God in yes. nature. Yes. You can do your art. You can um, watch movies, engage narrative. You can engage your friendships, all as a project of unveiling the mystery of God revealed and discovering the patterns on how it relates back. And like, here is here are these three guys who take the cosmological signs seriously enough to be able to go and really find Christ through that which is naturally revealed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and through through the heritage that's been passed on to them from maybe Daniel uh, being in uh, back in in the and maybe in the text messages that you continually get through the whole podcast. Oh, come on now. I mean, like, this, this is, a, this is a, a hard day. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, they're probably yeah, these are probably Persian scientists, astrologers, right? Yes. So, uh, and Father Peter referred to Daniel. So there, after the exile, there were a lot of Jewish people that didn't come back to Jerusalem and Judea that remained up in Iraq, what's present-day Iraq, right? Right. So Babylon. Um, which could be which Baghdad means, today. Yeah, probably. Well, you know, up until the 40s or so, I, there was a huge population of Jewish people in Baghdad. Yep. Because, of course, the Jewish people stayed there after the exile when the Persians took over from the Babylonians. But that means that if you're living up there, you probably you, they might have been familiar with the Jewish scriptures and right. Daniel and all these prophecies. But here's the thing that, that I thought was really cool, which, which struck me. I, I've never understood. So these are magi, which means, again, they're astrologers. They're kind of scientists, right? But um, I never understood why we call them the three kings. And the reason that we probably call them the three kings is because of the association with those first two readings that we had today, which talks about kings from Midian and Persia and Arabia and all these places bringing frankincense and gold and proclaiming the glories of God and the Psalms repeating the same thing, all of these kings coming. So why do we call the Magi kings? Not because they're necessarily royalty, but because they're fulfilling those prophecies given back in Isaiah and in the Psalms bringing frankincense and myrrh and gold and everything else. They're like these kings, these leaders from other nations. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. I've just never understood why we call them kings. Yeah. And I think the reason is simply because, oh, they're the ones that Isaiah is actually talking about. Oh. Not necessarily kings in the way that we think of them, but in yeah. a certain sense, they become kind of the kings because they're the ones who proclaim this and become images of what they're supposed to be in their leadership. The other thing that I thought was kind of cool there's a foreshadowing of this whole thing, I think. And I'm, I'm kind of uh, borrowing from, from Curtis Mitch and Ted Shree on this one. But I, I thought it was a great insight. So there's a, there's a foreshadowing of what they're doing. Do you remember the story of Balaam in Numbers? Yeah, Balaam wasn't a Balaam. Didn't he have a donkey? And then there's an angel that that he's kicking the donkey. And then the donkey was like, I'm not going to go in. But then the donkey starts talking to him because there's an angel and there's a sword at his throat. And if he keeps going, then he's going to be pierced through the storm. But And then he's just kicking donkey butt. <laughs> Perfectly succinct explanation of that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right. But if, if you remember the, the backdrop of the story, so there's this evil king named Balak, right? who um, he's a Moabite king and he wants to destroy Israel. So he hires this seer, right? Sort of a a, um, a seer, S-E-E-R. How would you describe a seer? So somebody kind of in the occult, what we would think of as the occult, right? Yeah, yeah, a fortune teller. Fortune teller kind of a thing. A medium. But he hires this guy, Balaam, who is a seer, a medium, to basically go and pronounce this kind of curse on Israel. So go curse them, you know, 
through your your demonic and spiritual powers and stuff. So he goes out, and if you remember, he tries to curse Israel, but he can only bless them. Right. So the only thing that come out of his mouth are blessings. He's like, what? What the heck? And he can't stop. He can't stop blessing them. And in his last attempt to curse Israel, it says the spirit of God comes upon him and he actually prophesies about this future king that would come out of Israel, a star that would be the sign of the king's arrival and this profound experience that Israel was going to have. So you have someone involved in kind of weird pseudosciences, right? Astrological, um, spiritual kind of stuff who pronounces this profound prophecy about what's going to happen with a star and this child who's going to be born. And now you have these people again from the East who are practitioners of, you know, what we might consider, I think astrology is kind of weird and there's, there's some weird stuff that they're doing, but God ends up using them to not only pronounce the coming of the King, but actually bear witness to the King and do these things. I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting connection there because yeah. Balaam is, is one of the first like really explicit references to this child who's going to come and save Israel and specifically about the star that's going to lead people to him. And then the, the Magi are led there because of this star. It's kind of cool. It's and really cool. I like, I, I like that connection. Yeah. But again, what, what's so cool about it is that you're reading these, these old Testament readings, all the information they're giving you is that these nations will come to the king, they'll come to Israel, they'll be blessed in some way. What it doesn't worldwide give you blessing, is baby. the worldwide blessing, but it's not just a blessing, it's entrance into the covenant family. Right. How a, the word blessing is just it, it's a it's a generic word. What does that mean? Well, it means all sorts of things throughout the Bible. What this blessing specifically is, is not just, oh, here, I will give you my blessing on your forehead or something, or I'll give you some wealth, or I'll give you some advice or wisdom. It's I'm gonna let you into the family. They're gonna be blessed in a way that they could never dreamt of. The fact that we still talk about these three magi, we don't exactly know their name. There's some speculation. There's some names that are attributed to them. Especially in Germany. But the fact that we actually see them now as these witnesses to the Christ, more than any, I mean, there's no Jewish person that does what they do. Right. These outsiders, these foreigners who come in and they actually bear witness and they worship and they pay homage to the king in a way that none of Israel actually did. Right. And again, the, the connection I, I talked about uh, Balaam, you have this evil king, Herod, who tries to use these magi basically to put a curse on Jesus, to find out where he is so, they can, so that he can kill them. Just like Balak hired Balaam to go and put a curse on Israel. Herod hires these guys basically to go and try to find a way that he can curse the Christ child. And just like in the story of Balaam, it backfires. Balaam ends up blessing them. The kings, the magi end up blessing them instead of helping the king and go back by this other way. That's cool. I thought it was a neat connection, though. I think it's a really neat connection. Mm-hmm. But again, you have, uh, we talked about this last week a little bit, about the, the rabbis that Jesus is speaking to in the, in the presentation scene. You have Herod who, you know, as the, as the Gospel of Matthew gets going, you have all these different figures and all these different responses to Jesus. Who is this? What's going on? You have the Magi who, I don't know if they fully understand who this is or not, but they know that it's somebody that they need to pay attention to. They're intrigued. They're yeah. drawn to him. You have Herod who should be intrigued and drawn to him, but he's threatened by him. 
And it just raises this great question, like, how do we respond to Jesus in his lowliness, the faith, the, the, the profundity of our faith that we profess, the challenges that it throws in front of us of having to live a certain way? Are we threatened by it? Are we intrigued by it? How do we evangelize? Like when people see our lives, are they threatened by us? Are they intrigued by us? Are they curious about us? Are they drawn to us? What kind of witness are we bearing? Are we Herod or are we the Magi? You know, mm. I, I think it's a fascinating question for reflection. It is. And, and, and do people, yeah. That's why he, the, the revelation of the mystery brings everything together. Yeah, and exactly. Like, because this is the hard part is that, is that oftentimes we, the, the reductionary approach to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, is not patient enough to draw people into the, yes. how the pieces of this have been put together of, of all time. And yeah. so the Magi responded because the pieces were put together. Yeah. Herod, all he saw was a, a threat, a power structure, yeah. and which is something that is, is consistent to this age, is yes. that all, all the, the church and the revelation of Jesus Christ is just some sort of moral power structure yeah. meant to thwart any sort of real happiness in the world. And yeah. Versus uh, uh, actually the, the confluence of all the prophetic, mysterious, Revelations of reality and analogy, reality, reality and analogy, and uh, metimony and um, prophecy, and all the ease that you could possibly muster up. And yeah, like, like right. Jesus Christ is is the word, is the center, is the is the focal point. And so these magi, when they discover him, have discovered the center of reality. And Absolutely. So, so that's the work that we do on the Epiphany is to yeah. say, like, how is Jesus Christ the center of all revelation? Yes. And, 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 and is truly all revelation and everything flows to him and from him. He is the source and the summit Absolutely. and then is Eucharistically present. It's just like that. This is, this is the easiest thing that we can enter into, but yes. our job is to understand the mystery. Yes. Our job is to actually understand how these pieces are coming together from all time. And then to be able to say, well, here's how the Christ child fulfills this. Yes. And when we do that, it, it's just natural for people to say, I want to, I want in. Yes. It's it's like the reason why I like to introduce people to Lost. They're like, oh, I want in. They see, uh, oh, here's a mystery, and then it can come together. We want a good mystery. We want a good mystery. We and, long for it. And then, and then when we realize that actually everything in reality participates in that mystery, right. and then we actively seek that out in our right. lives, right. that we actually actively make every part of what we do an extension of feeding in and flowing from the mysterious reality of God becoming man yeah. and inviting us into his divine life so that we may have eternal life. It's like, what? Mm. It's the best. It is. Boom. Take that. Mic drop, Father Peter. That is. That was a mic drop. That was a mic drop. You deserve a mic drop. Hey. You should knock that thing over. Don't do it. We need to finish. The, no, stop it. Quit it. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, it was there. It goes. All right, everybody. We will be back next week. Have a wonderful feast of the Epiphany, and uh, that's all we got to say. Yep, love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>